Hello, my friends, Patrick here with a very quick note before we get into the episode. John and I invite you to head to the website, optimalagency.co, and get your HWT score, your health, wealth, and time score. This is a free assessment that will give you a snapshot of where you are today on the road toward your optimal agency. 60 questions will only take you a few minutes. You'll get a sense of where you are strong and where you are weak. Again, optimalagency.co slash HWT. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you in advance, and let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Optimal Agency Podcast. My name is Patrick Cummings, joined as always by John Gilson. Together with you, we are exploring the ideas of agency, diving deep to discover a set of guidelines on how each of us can best operate in the day-to-day to maximize our personal autonomy professional freedom, and ultimately our positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning in the show. How are you, John? Great, Pat. Thanks. We are going to dive back into our rules. And just as a reminder, we have three sets of rules. We've got rules of health, which we've talked a little bit about and we will continue to talk about. We've got rules of wealth, which we're going to dive in today. And we've got rules of time. Uh, Each one of those is an ingredient in the equation that leads us to agency, agency is what ultimately leads us to the ability to have the impact we want to have. So we're going to dive into rule number one uh, inside the rules of wealth. I'm going to read through all six of them just so we can kind of couch this within the broader context. Um, And then we're going to dive into rule number one. So the rules of wealth. Number one, separate your time from your income. That's what we're going to talk about today. Number two, make as much as you're able. Number three, spend much less than you make. Rule number four, pay as few taxes as you can. Rule number five, purchase passive income and appreciating assets with your savings. And rule number six, let compounding do its work. I asked you this first question in our episode about the uh, health rule number one, which is, are these in a hierarchy of importance and a hierarchy of like, focus on this first, then move to this, then move to this? Is that, and with health, it was like, yes, a little bit, but not particularly. Is that the same here or is it different? Of course, it's different because internal consistency is the the crutch of (laughs) of fools and weaklings. Uh, Our our North Star for wealth is to separate your time from your income. It's ultimately uh, to have your money coming in regardless of how you choose to spend your days. And you can think about the rules below, rules two through six, really being in service of making that happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is a broad concept. It's an actionable concept to separate your time from your income. And at the same time, it is a goal that even if only partially fulfilled, will contribute to your agency tremendously. Mm -hmm. And so you can think ultimately having all of your income be separate from your time, that might be the goal of decades. Mm. But having some of your income be separate from your time might be just a few clicks of the mouse away on your computer right now. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm excited to dive into it with you. That is absolutely our North Star of Wealth. Separate your time from your income. Okay. So um, what I, I want to get real basic. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Cause, and, and I say that slightly laughingly because I think you can't really, you can't go on the internet without somebody telling you, 
how you could make a passive income with the side hustle in an internet and a YouTube channel or whatever it is. Right? Mm-hmm. So I just want to make sure that we're clear that we're defining what these things mean, um, even if they seem slightly obvious. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what do we mean when we say separate your time from your income? And, and you kind of alluded to this. Was this is this like 100 percent of it? Is this 10 percent of it? Is this wherever the, as best you can um, just kind of couch us in the in the reality of what this means? Okay, so let me take issue with the internet first, all of it. Let me take no, let me take issue with the internet. The idea of separating your time from your income and to have that income arrive passively is not going to be done through some hustle foo. Mm-hmm. It's not really how it works. Hustle foo, I like that. What we're gonna do is we're looking to have you get regular payments of money with you literally literally doing nothing, Mm. not putting in a bunch of upfront effort to set up a business that then pays you passively, right? We're going to look for that income to come free of charge, so to speak, free of time charge. Now, why do I take such issue with this time and money connection? You will have a hard time getting wealthy if you just trade your time for money, right? Yeah, even at a fairly high salary, mm-hmm. frankly. But if you think about the paradigm of most jobs, that's exactly what it is. I mean, it's in the name. They call it a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Give me all your time, and for that, we'll give you this salary. If you engage in that practice, your agency is likely fairly low because someone else is determining what you do, when you do it, and who you do it with. And so if our North Star is separating our time from our income, that's only in service of agency because your time needs to be yours. It needs to not belong to someone who's giving you a pair of golden handcuffs in exchange. Mm -hmm. So as we think about defining that income, it's not money that comes from a salary. It's money that's paid due to assets that you own uh, as a, and this is in quotes, a reward for owning them. So we think about stock dividends. We think about the interest on money that you have in the bank. right? We think about uh, the dividends that are genuinely the reward of passive business ownership in which you have no day-to-day mm-hmm. or likely even majority ownership role. Mm-hmm. That to me feels like... <clears throat> Those feel like very far away things in an, in an odd sense. Like that feels like something that, and by which I mean, like when, when we think about them, when people think about them, they think about them like, okay, that's something I I'll do down there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, and maybe this gets us into the, 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 like the actual, the how conversation, but like, let's get, what does that look like practically? Like, how do you start moving from wherever you are today to a place where at least that's beginning to be. I mean, because it, as you said, it's it's kind of rule number one. It's 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 the North Star as it relates to wealth. So how do we actually start making progress towards that? Step number one of separating your time from your income is to have income that is not matched with a expense mm-hmm. in your life. In other words, you have to get to either. Well, no, you need to increase the the gap between what you make and what you spend. Mm -hmm. Because the difference, your savings, is what we use to purchase the vehicles that will give us passive income, Mm -hmm. right? And so the how, okay, so let's not even start with how, let's actually start with another why question. 
John, I can only do this with 50 bucks this week, Mm -hmm. 500 bucks this month. I can only do this with 5,000 bucks and I make $200,000 a year. Who cares? And will this ever matter? This week, it will not matter. Next week, it will not matter. But if you pursue it for five years, it will matter. And if you pursue it for 15 years, it will definitely matter. And if you pursue it for 25, you will have complete and utter freedom over your time to the point where you might get bored. And the reason that that happens is that when you accumulate savings and it spits off passive income, that passive income you may not immediately choose to spend. You may reinvest. Mm -hmm. And this kicks off a cycle of compounding. Compounding is a mathematical phenomenon. And the target of wealth rule number six allow compounding to happen, uh, wherein the end result is unimaginable to most people, where if, let's say, I get 10% interest on a dollar and I get that every month, you know, you'll find that after appreciable, appreciable periods of time, decades, the payments on the, that dollar compounding daily at 10% are in the quadrillions of dollars. Right? And so we want to start as soon as possible. So that's the why. So no matter what you can start with in separating your time from your income, do it now. Mm-hmm. Do it now. Keep doing it. Do it consistently at any level that you possibly can. Okay, so what does that look like? Well, let's understand that some people literally can't save money mm-hmm. because they uh, they already live below their means. When, when you and I, so uh, we were we were bank tellers. Mm-hmm. I lived I lived in group housing in Brookline. Did you ever go there? Yes, once or twice. Okay, so it was complete shithole. Yes, like flop house basically, right? And I was making I think twenty eight thousand five hundred dollars a year. In fact, I not. <laughs> I remember. I was going to say, it seems pretty specific. I remember. And I was eating Weaver chicken nuggets because it was the only thing I could afford that had any protein content in it. And I guess we'll get to that health rule eventually (laughs) if I wasn't doing myself any favors. And, uh, you know, as I went and said, how do I get out of this situation? It wasn't save money and invest it in in income generating investments. Mm-hmm. It was make more money. It was the only solution. I had to make more money to get out of that situation. And that's why wealth rule number two is make as much as you're able, not spend less. Mm-hmm. Right. But ultimately, we need to make as much as we're able and keep spending a reasonable amount of money so we can increase and increase and increase that gap. Mm-hmm. And the more that you acquire skills and get along in your career, the more money that you have to invest in passive assets, passive income generating assets, the faster the snowball turns. Yep. Right. So if you think about rules one, two and three as really being part of the, the main equation, yep. that's how you start doing it. So we know that any savings that we get, we invest in passive income. If that was the only thing you knew, it would be helpful if you already made enough money that it was possible. If you're living in a flop house with six other people making 28.5 a year, don't worry about separating your time from your income. Just go get more income. Mm-hmm. And just as a uh, just as a reminder, because you, you said rules one, two, three, separate your time from your income, make as much as you're able, spend much less than you make. Just to just to couch this, because these are these are all new rules for most people. <laughs> <laughs> for most people. Okay. Um, that was kind of a, another question of why, or another question of, uh, of answering the question of why, right? Why does this matter? Um, which leads us naturally to the how to a degree. Is this the right place for the how? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we can go to how. Uh, the first part of how is to take your savings and move it out of your checking account. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a friend who uh, maybe he's listening to this, maybe he'll recognize himself, called me because he had $130,000 in his checking account. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be that person, right? Unless you're Jeff Bezos, you don't need $130,000 in your checking account. So first thing, move that into an income generating vehicle right now. I know that uh, my E-Trade high yield savings account gives me three and a quarter percent. So that means if I put a thousand dollars in there, it's going to kick off this year thirty-two dollars and fifty cents in passive income. So that's the lowest hanging fruit, mm-hmm. and that's also the least risky fruit is to simply take your money and put it into high yield savings vehicles. Typically, those don't keep pace with inflation, as you know, and we live in a very in- inflation-driven era right now. Uh, you ultimately want to put those assets into a very diversified index fund, uh, one that looks like it captures the entirety of either the S&P 500, which are the 500 largest American companies, or even a world index. My recommendation uh, is that you look at some Vanguard funds. Uh, Typically, VTI is the one I'll go with, although there are a bunch of permutations of that. Take your savings and open a Uh, an account either with a brokerage or with Vanguard themselves, take that savings and start putting it into that broad-based index fund. It's going to give you two advantages. One, you're going to participate in the economic growth of the United States, which uh, despite headlines, which you should largely ignore, uh, is still occurring. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only will your investment appreciate over time, uh, typically somewhere between 7 and 10% after inflation, but it will also kick off some passive income for you. I believe the yield on the S&P 500 is probably in the 2 plus percent range right now. The, I don't pay much attention frankly, uh, but that means that every $1,000 I put in that, it's going to kick me back $20 a year. Now, you can say, well, what good is that? Mm -hmm. And it's a good question, right? Because what's $20 to you? $20 is likely Mm non-meaningful, but you have to start somewhere. And you're going to get to the point where that 20 becomes 200 because you've got 10,000 invested, and then it becomes 2,000 because you've got 100,000 invested, and then you've got a million invested, Right, and it actually replaces more than half of your income need mm-hmm. if you're if you're on forty thousand dollars a year. Um, you said something earlier, or you the the you know your point to when you were however old you were and working at the bank, um, where you it didn't make sense for you to focus on this, right? It made sense for you to 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 focus on making more money, uh, and so there there's um, that element I think is really important. And another thing that you said was like this week. To your point, like twenty dollars, not right. That's like not going to feel anything, and it strikes me as that that's exactly the same thing as when you go to the gym this week. You're not going to look any better. You're not going to. You might feel a little bit better, but you're not going to have any outward signs of I got fitter this week, right? But if you do that over the course of not days and weeks, and or you look at it not over days and weeks, even months, but years and and a decade, two decades, that's when it matters. That's and that's why it matters what you did this week. That's why it matters that you put fifty dollars in, even though you don't feel like fifty dollars matters at all. And so can you just talk a little bit about that mentality, that mindset? Because it it strikes me as that's 
there's something in there that is integral to this entire conversation because nothing that we're going to talk like there is no I mean I I would I'm venturing to guess there's no tactic that we're going to give that somebody listening can do and well that I'm I'm 500 feet closer to, to optimal agency than I was before right like there is a mentality there's a mindset there is a uh, practice at play here. Maybe it's patience. I don't know what, what you would call it. But can you just talk about that a little bit? Because that to me feels like without that, what we're laying out here won't happen. Far more likely to fall under the 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 um into the trap of like, I just need like a I just need a passive income thing that I can sell on the internet or or I just need to make way more money. I like I like the conversation of the step changing towards what we're trying to get to. So, but that to me is that's the crux. That's the challenge that most people, myself included, often have is shit. Like, yeah, but we're not going to feel that for a while. And I feel the other thing, <laughs> whether mm-hmm. it's the gym where it's like, well, I feel tired today, and I don't. I won't. I know at the end of this workout, I won't feel fitter. I won't feel healthier but that is the right choice. You want to understand that agency is the result of doggedness, Mm. the dogged pursuit of health, wealth, and time. You further want to understand that this is why you need to define and accept that agency is your goal. Because instead of saying that the reward for investing this thousand dollars in the S and P 500 is 20 bucks, it's not, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit of agency. It's a little bit of agency. If you make 50 bucks an hour, right? It's about 20 minutes mm-hmm. in which you don't have to work for the man. Think about it mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. right? And you're right. Every single one of these is an accumulation of marginal gains, mm-hmm. right? Do you get fitter in that time period? You actually never get fitter at the gym. You get fitter when you recover from going to the gym, right? And the creation of fitness is the accumulation of workouts over uh, weeks and months and years, and health is the reward. And you know what the odd part is? Is when you're truly fit and healthy, you're going to take it for granted. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and you just have to keep doing it as a bulwark against uh, against mortality and, and against health span. And when you're rich, if you're not really careful, if you haven't stepped back and defined your enough, you're going to forget you're rich. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the ability mm-hmm. to divorce your time from your income, but you're not going to do it. Right? How many people do you know or, or do you know of at our age, right? Like, so we're in our 40s. Mm-hmm. How many people do you know who make ridiculous incomes at this point? Probably more and more, yep. right? Uh, and how many of us know a lawyer or, uh, you know, a doctor in their 30s, 40s, or 50s who works all the time and has never thought to, to trade that money for agency mm-hmm. for time? So, Here's the trick of all of this. You understand that it's the dogged pursuit of marginal gains, but man, you better have a definition of that finish line because if not, you're going to forget you're going to forget to stop yeah. and take advantage. And I think for me, uh it's interesting. That's the next interesting question is how do I recognize when I have agency? Mm-hmm. So, when you start accumulating wealth, when you start accumulating health, when you start with that first no to somebody who asks for your time, when you just say no Mm -hmm. and keep your time for you and your goals, it's going to feel tiny, but it's not. It's a principled stand 
that will get you to where you're going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a video from uh, Naval Ravikant that that um, I sent you in advance of this. Uh, and Naval Ravikant, he's an investor. He's a, I think he's the CEO founder of something called AngelList. Um, and uh, just overall smart guy. I mentioned him previously. He the somebody wrote a book of his of his stuff uh, called The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Anyways, this video is just a short thing. I think he did it was on Twitter or something. And he just, um, and it strikes me as relevant to this conversation. He says, uh, the, the, talking about um, optimizing for independence and not for pay. And, and he says that that's the dream, being accountable for your output, not your input. We live in an era of leverage. As a worker, you want to be as leveraged as possible so that your work has a huge impact and it won't take as much of your time or physical effort. And so there's something in there because he's talking about work as leverage and you're talking about leverage as leverage, right? Yeah. So where, like, where, where, do you, where do those two things marry? Where do those things come together? Because a lot of times we think about work as the means through which we earn the income. And but what you're saying is like, let's also, at least at the same time, think about how do we make the income make the money, right? How do we not have to engage our time, our effort in in producing that income where I mean, I I assume it's two sides of of the same conversation. Yeah. um, Naval Ravikant is is brilliant. And I'm so thankful that Eric Jorgensen did put his ideas into the almanac of Naval Ravikant because I found that incredibly influential. And it's such just a great reminder. Uh, But okay, so what is Naval talking about in that clip? He's actually talking about two separate things. He's talking about independence of time, Mm -hmm. which is very much what we're talking about with agency. The other thing that he's talking about is having a uh, source of income where your pay is divorced from your time input. Yeah. So he's saying exactly what we're saying, separate your time from your income, but he takes it one step further. He's saying, what are the situations, and this is the implicit question, what are the situations in which I can get paid a lot without putting in a lot of time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, There are very specific professions where this is true. Okay, Some of them... Uh, uh, a lot of them are entrepreneurial in nature. I own the company. Other people do the work. I get the money. Now, that's that's typical, right? People understand that one. But there's a lot of intermediate steps. In fact, one is in the profession that I've often found myself in when I am working for somebody else's goals, but I mm-hmm. want a input-output divorce. Sales. Mm-hmm. God, that dirty word. <laughs> Go get a job in sales, Seriously, if you're good at it, you get paid. Mm-hmm. And typically you get paid through systems in which someone is giving you an uncapped upside on what you sell. I took a job uh, three years ago at a company that my original deal was, uh, it was fairly decent. You know, it was a low six figure base pay. And then I got 1% of everything I sold, except the ticket on the thing I was selling was in the thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. So I made something like $25 every time I sold a unit Mm -hmm. of this thing. Well, instead of pounding the pavement and trying to sell these things one at a time, I found channels that I could make deals with that would sell hundreds of them for me at a time Mm -hmm. to the point where this company literally had to sit me down and say, we can't afford to do this. We thought 1% was a really low number. You've shown us it's not. Here's a giant salary instead. Will you take it? Mm -hmm. And of course I did. But my point is you can get a job today 
that has a commission aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And if you're smart enough to leverage that commission aspect where nobody's capping your upside, you can accelerate your income. And if you don't accelerate your expenses at the same time, you get a whole bunch of money that you can invest in passive assets. So imagine that you're building this passive vehicle in two places. You're going to build it professionally through a leverage job like Naval's referring to, and you're gonna build it personally through taking your excess savings and investing it. And so when you have those two machines working, you can get yourself an accelerated ride to sell, separating your time from your income, and by extension, to being able to no longer having to trade your time for income at all and getting a large chunk of agency in return. And you know, if we look at those as two buckets, one was the work leveraged work, and one is is again whatever leveraged income. The more you get one, I imagine the less you have to do the other until the whole you only have the one bucket. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and and I, that's exactly right. And I think the other interesting thing for us to talk about is that you don't have to get all the way to that end point for you to really feel this, for you to feel this in a really strong way. You know, there would be some points in that sales job that I was just referring to where I would have a dealer or an internet distributor selling so much stuff, I was getting paid by somebody else's company while I slept. Mm -hmm. That's hilarious. It's hilarious because you're no longer trading your, your, you know, your time for your money. Did I have to keep working that job? Yeah. Did I have to keep working that job very hard? No. And I think they kind of noticed is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, why they, why they asked for a different deal. But as you get more and more passive income, time is this really fungible thing. It's not ones and zeros. It's ones and zeros and 0 0.1 and 0 0.2 and 0 0.3 and 0 0.4, et cetera. And so you can start trading time and money for each other as soon as you realize they're the same thing mm -hmm. at any point in this curve towards, towards separating your time from your income and, and achieving agency. It strikes me that as important as this is, this is not something that anybody ever teaches anybody. <laughs> Right. Like there are people who figure it out because they're entrepreneurial, because they're driven, whatever, like whatever the outliers figure out to recognize the importance of this. But by and large, when we grow up, what do we see? We see mom and dad going to job. We connect job with money, money with food and toys and clothes and house and et cetera. How, why isn't this taught or weighted as heavily as we got to prepare you for the job market, mm -hmm. which is very heavily weighted. You would argue that like all of high school is exists theoretically to prepare you for college, some people for college, and college is exclusively designed theoretically to set you up for entering into the job market. And almost no step in that process is the conversation about recognizing the 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 relationship between time and income why is that okay there are two answers there's the uh intellectual answer and there's the conspiracy theory answer <laughs> mm -hmm. let me start with the intellectual answer separating your time from your income getting into a leveraged situation involves risk yep. because Leverage works both ways. Mm. 
So if I accept a low base salary and unlimited upside, I'm also implicitly accepting a downside. What if I don't sell? What if I don't get into that channel? What if my company meant to give me passive income fails Mm -hmm. and I'm a pariah in my community because I didn't achieve it? Most people don't have the level of risk tolerance equal to that. And they also make a demon of that risk as if it's real. Mm-hmm. You know, I would argue and probably Naval would argue, too, it's not real. Our system is set up that you can fail a thousand times and win the thousand and first time and still be fine. Yep. The conspiracy theory answer is the people who pay the majority of the taxes in your community that keep your schools running want you as an employee working towards their ends and not your own because it benefits them disproportionately for you to be educated in such a manner. Mm -hmm. The people who get the donations at the Alumni Association at the University of wherever you graduated from are getting them from CEOs and people who have figured out the divorce of output and input, but would like you as an employee. And so their drive is to educate you to work at that place. And of course, the whole societal system is set up to accept that. If you look at U.S. News and World Report's ranking of colleges, one of the major inputs into that is what is the starting salary of the average graduate? They don't say what graduate leaves, eats ramen for three years with his buddies next to a banged up file cabinet with three laptops, learns to program on their own, throwing out their philosophy degree for pontification later in life and starts a world-changing company. It's nowhere in the rankings, right? And so it's easier to measure. I think the other is external versus internal benchmarks. So as an individual, when you say, I'm going to take a leveraged situation, you're by almost necessity starting at near zero. You're going to feel like your peers are all getting a head start. So let's say you and I get a a very high demand degree. Let's imagine that we got computer science degrees in 2003 and 2004 and 2005 instead of whatever liberal arts nonsense we did get degrees in. And, uh, you know, you take a job and I start a company, right? Uh, You're going to see a starting salary even back then in the six figures. And you're going to get a nicer apartment than me and a nicer car. You're probably going to get a girlfriend, Right. And I'm going to have him come over and see mouse turds on the on the <laughs> on the oven and ramen and the fact that I can bear it. You know, I haven't slept in two days. And so I'm going to feel like I'm falling further and further behind. And so the leverage situation at the outset, very much like saving your money at the outset, very much like your first workout at the gym. It's not attractive. And we'd rather take the, the sure thing. And so to answer your question in brief right? Why isn't this taught? It's because risk tolerance isn't taught. Mm-hmm. Beginning to wrap this up, connecting it with the broader, bigger picture that we have. I imagine that it's it's easier, these things we're talking about, whether it's working out when it would be easier to stay on the couch, whether it's investing $50 when it'd be easier to go out to dinner, whatever. Um, whether it's uh, saying yes to a birthday party when it would probably be better for you to stay home and take a deep breath, right? <clears throat> I imagine it becomes a lot easier, or I I know it becomes a lot easier when you have a reason to do the difficult thing today. And the reason, again, to go back to the big picture of what we're trying to do here is to build a life of optimal agency until you have that or some fill in the blank of something else that is motivating enough that provides a decisional filter strong enough. It will always be easier. It will always be in the moment easier to say yes to 
the thing that feels good, but that doesn't actually move you in any real direction, except perhaps backwards. That's exactly right. Odds are you don't know exactly what impact you want to have on the world. And so what I'm asking, what you and I are asking, is that our listeners substitute in optimal agency at this time. Mm -hmm. Say, that is my goal. That is the reason for saving. That's the reason for the gym. That's the reason for skipping the birthday party. Then you can, once you've gotten to some level of agency, you can start substituting in what your concept of impact is. But what people do is instead of getting their concept of impact, they just substitute somebody else's goals in there and they live their whole life that way. Mm -hmm. So substitute in optimal agency as the reason for doing all those things today. And when that impact does occur to you, you'll have the agency necessary to pursue it. Anything else on this subject, on this rule, separating time from income uh, that we want to make sure we hit on before we uh, let folks go? Two things. One, start now. Mm -hmm. If you can literally close this podcast, go to a browser, get yourself a brokerage account. Literally sign up for one. Mine's at E-Trade. They do not pay us to say that. Mm -hmm. Mine's at E-Trade. Open one up and buy a first share of a broad-based market index fund. If you don't know what I'm saying, Google all of those terms, market index fund. Okay. Uh, Second thing is think about your job. And ask yourself, is there a way to divorce my input from my output? Can I contribute to the revenue of this company such that I might be able to get a piece of it now and in the future? If the answer is no, put yourself in the job market and find a job that will let you do that. Awesome. All right. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. They do help new folks find the show. And if this episode resonated with uh, with you or if these ideas are resonating with you, it helps a ton if you share it with a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, a cousin, a sister. Uh, we are excited to continue having this conversation and we do that because new folks continue to find and dive in and uh, join us. So thank you in advance for sharing this. And John and I will see you. Well, we won't see you because we're here and you're over there, but you get the point. We'll be back with another episode of Optimal Agency soon. One more note, one more invitation before we go. A reminder to get your HWT score to figure out where you are today on the road to Optimal Agency. OptimalAgency.co slash HWT is where you can find it. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.